Week 17 is upon us. Burrow and Mahomes square off in Cincy as the Bengals try to wrap up the AFC North. The Rams look to stay hot as they head to Baltimore. Kyler and Dak battle in Big D. And the Packers host the Vikings on Sunday Night Football. All this and more next on the GM Shuffle. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good to be back here on the GM Shuffle. As I was just saying to my friend Michael Lombardi off-air, this is the week where people are incredibly unproductive. Like post-Christmas, pre-New Year's, it is very rare to find anybody working. If you're trying to get a hold of like your finance guy or like a real estate guy or any guy, like, uh, hey, sir, I'm taking this week off. And yet you and I, Mike, still grinding away here. Do you think Kendall Roy would have worked this week? <laughs> Kendall Roy would have been high as a kite, but he'd be working. He'd be, he would have substance abuse issues, but he's still working this week. I have two more to go. And I got to say, I am so disappointed in his lack of like, there's been no growth in that character whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, uh, he disappoints me on every single level. Like, and I'm not even his father, but like he disappoints, like he, uh, you know, I, I was saying to Millie last night, we we're watching this birthday party that, that we're on that episode, you know? And I mean, like, is there ever a guy who's more disappointing in all of his life? You know, it's like, so, 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 you know, he's not working this week. There's no doubt. No, no. That, that's he sad, de- And sad. he deserves it. He deserves a good week off because God knows he's worked too damn hard. I cannot wait until you and Millie finish the final two episodes. You have to promise me you call me the second you finish it. Cause we are going to talk yeah. about, about the GM shuffle. It is I don't want to say anything else. Enjoy the rest of succession. Let's get to the topics. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I like, the other thing I like about, I love the fact that Tom wears a tie all the time. <laughs> Tom is like, I love that he wears, I love that he's always in a tie. Like they're telling you something about that tie. Yeah. Like he's, they're telling you something about the way he dresses. That's my, my viewpoint. No, that's a great, telling no, you something. fashion tells you a lot. When you watch a certain show, you go, okay, why is this guy always wearing a three-piece suit? Why does he wear a sweater yeah. vest? Okay, is he a certain level of snobbery? Like remember Adrian yeah. Brody, that episode, he was wearing like a, like a, like a winter hat hat like a hoodie like he was like one of those rich yeah. guys who doesn't want to be rich like he's like kind of like you know, yeah exactly one of the guys. yeah so i want to i want to identify with people even though i have a billion dollars in the bag i want to be the common man and i'm having lunch out here served by people 50 50 miles away. i'm making them carry shit all the way out to the ocean and then i only have one bite to eat i only eat one thing and then i just throw it all away like i see i'm a common man <laughs> one of the most absurd things of the year how little food he ate it bothered me so much they wasted all that food it so bothered me <laughs> all right let's get into the topics of the day we'll get to some games in a second Second. But of course, sad news in the world of football as John Madden passes away at the age of 85. There's a lot to chew on here, and I'm sure Mike has tons of stories about John Madden with your affiliation to the Raiders. Madden, obviously a great coach of the Raiders. We all know that. You look back at his numbers, you go, this was amazing. The winning percentage, the Super Bowl. As a commentator, I think of Mike, he's the soundtrack to my youth. I mean, I have spent the last yeah. couple of days just watching old clips. Andrew Marchand tweeted a great clip of Summerall and Madden, Eagles, Cowboys. The Eagles had a great defensive stop. And he goes, listen to this minute and a half. He goes, Madden's like opinionated. He's smart. He sounds like a fan. He's blunt. Like right before the fourth one, he goes, this is not a good call. I didn't like it before. I don't like it now. They get stuffed. And he goes, whoa, whoa, this is incredible. And after he goes, they just lost the game right there. Like it's so good. Like that's why Madden was so 
authentic. He was fun. And he loved football more than anything. And of course, the video game, he's become his own entity. But you can talk about the coaching, particularly his genius as a football coach. Tell me about that. Well, you know, at 33 years old, Al Davis makes him the head coach of the Raiders, which is kind of a strange uh, hire because Al had typically, since John Madden, never hired defensive coaches as head coaches. He really didn't want them. He wanted an offensive coach to run the offense, and then he wanted to run the defense with the defensive coordinator. And everybody thinks Al Davis was an offensive coach. He did, he, he loved vertical over routes, but for the most part, he he wanted somebody to run the offense. So it was a strange, that was higher. He goes 12-1-1. I mean, 10 years as a head coach, he goes to the conference championship game seven times. Remarkable, right? I mean, that's that's hard to do. He's got the highest winning percentage of any coach who's coached over 100 games. Of any coach who's coached, he's, got the, he's the number one. Now, it took him a long time to get in the Hall of Fame because part of it was, was it Al that was really doing all this work? Did he underachieve with his teams? Well, I think he ran into the perfect storm, right? He ran into the 72 and 70, you know, the Miami Dolphins teams in the 70s when he was coaching. He ran into the great Steeler teams. I mean, there were just AFC teams that were just great. And he was able to win one Super Bowl and get through it. You know, and if you were to talk to Al, Al probably and a lot of people with the Raiders, you know, they had they had frustrations of the immaculate reception. I mean, there was a lot of frustrations within the within the the game. The thing that always cracks me up about Madden is Al Davis was a stickler for wearing silver and black. Like he wanted you to wear the colors. Like he didn't want to see you in the office wearing blue or brown or, you know, he wanted silver and black. And when you see Madden on the sidelines in that brown striped short sleeve shirt, you know, with the brown tie, and as Belichick says, with the with the uh, with the sideline pass kind of attached to his lapel, like, and then he's in like a Raider coat that's blue. Like, none of this makes any sense to me. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm in a Twilight Zone episode. It doesn't make any sense. But you know, I, but I think his greatest achievement. I mean, on the field, he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. And 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 doing this, writing this chapter on Hall of Fame coaches. It's fascinating how politics really plays into who gets in the Hall of Fame and who doesn't. You know, Madden took a long time to get in there. Dan Reeves, Dan Reeves is the 10th winningest coach in NFL history. He took two different franchises to Super Bowls. He didn't win one, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yet George Allen is in the Hall of Fame because he has a 71% winning percentage, which, you know, is tremendous, right? He's 37th on wins, a 71 winning percentage. But he only never he only went to one Super Bowl. He never, ever won a Super Bowl. So, like, how is Dan Reeves not in? And yet John George Allen is. They're gonna put Dick Vermeil in. Dick Vermeil's 35th on the all-time winning list of head coaches. He's got 120 wins, 109 losses. So he's slightly above 500. And yet he's probably gonna get in over Clark Shaughnessy, who really invented the forward pass in the National Football League, over Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves, here's the company over Marty Schottenheimer, who has 200 wins. Do people don't realize how hard it is to win 200 games? There is only, only eight coaches in the history of the NFL who have won 200 games. Eight. And two of them are Curly Lambeau and George Hallis, who coached for a zillion years in different eras. Everyone else, you know, Paul Brown did it from the 46 to 75. Landry did it from 1960 to, you know, uh, 1988. I mean, over that time, Shula from 63 to 95. I mean, Belichick's got uh, 289 wins. He's he's coming down that stretch. But Andy Reid's got 232. But Marty can't even get a sniff because he doesn't have that. And Madden had to pay a price for it. Another example to give you, George Seifert. 
George Seifert's got two, two Super Bowl wins, right? He's got two Super Bowls. He's 38th on the all-time win list. He's got 114 wins, 62 losses. That's a 64%, 64.8% win percentage. He's got two Super Bowls in his pocket, right? He's won two Super Bowls, you know? And yet he can't get a sniff because people associate him with, well, he just took over a good team. See, there's too much, there's too much pliability in this. There's too much of that. And it's really unfair. And some of these coaches who aren't in, like Clark Shaughnessy, like Marty Schottenheimer, I mean, merit them. You know, if you win 200 games, your ass belongs in the Hall of Fame just because you won a Super Bowl. I mean, Marv Levy went to four, didn't win one. Does that qualify more than what Marty Schottenheimer did over his career? I think it's really kind of unfair and it's very political. It's very political. And Madden is the perfect example of how political it is because Madden, had he not had the second career, he might have been overlooked like Seifert's overlooked. That's well said, because you're right. If you say George Seifert, you're right immediately. You think, well, 49ers, uh, Walsh did all the work. He's got Steve Young. I mean, how much is he actually doing? So it's it's unfair, but you do have to look deeper than the numbers to kind of get an essence of what these guys were about. Let's go to the second career then of Madden as a broadcaster. Arguably, Mike, the greatest analyst ever in television sports. Like, you know, Barkley's a studio guy, of course, great, but you're talking games, live games, NFL, baseball, basketball. I'm like, there's no one better than Madden. I mean, he was so good no. at being relatable and he knew the X's and O's. Of course he did. He was a Hall of Fame coach, as you said, but funny and smart. And I mean, I watched this clip of him on Thanksgiving breaking down turkey legs. And like, it, it's, I can't imagine that combination of smarts and entertainment. You know, and I think what he proves the point that, I think this, I think really great leaders take the complicated and make it simple. They're able to take something so complex. And I can still remember this. One night I was working late. My family was back in New Jersey. I came home to my house in the Berkeley Hills and I, and I didn't want to go to sleep. I turn on the TV and there's Bill Clinton talking to a bunch of students at, at the school of, about his presidency. And, and within a matter of maybe 30 words, he explained the, the Korean, North Korea's policy, and which I didn't really understand. He took something very complex and made it simple. People that do that are unique. And Madden did that. Now, what I wish people would do more, because I pick on announcers way too much, but what I wish people would do more of, that uh, do the games. Instead of talking about defensive back techniques like we get on Monday night. I mean, my, every Monday night we get a clinic on defensive back techniques. So the inside leverage, the hip roll, all that. Like, th and, and that's Lewis knows that. That's great. And he knows it. But what we really want from our announcers is we want them to watch Madden. And we want them to tell us about the big picture. We don't care about the defense. We don't care about Tampa, too. We don't care about weak role safety. We don't care about who's got first in the flat. We want the game explained to us, the broader strokes of the game. And Madden was able to do that. Madden took the game from the 35,000 feet viewpoint and explained it perfectly. Like when Parcells went on the Manning cast, he explained the game, not from a technical standpoint, but, but from that 35,000 feet view. That's what Madden did. And Madden was able to educate. We wrote about this for the Daily Coach today. We're taping this on Thursday. Madden was able to use the second area of leadership to maximize his career. It's called management of attention. He could explain something in very concise manner using metaphors and examples. And I think that's what he gave us. He gave us that. And we have lost that. We have separated. We have lost that broad stroke because we're constantly talking about, we think people want to know about cover seven. We think people want to know about, you know, inside out. You know, we think people want to know about who's the mic and who's the hot. No, they don't. They want to know about the game. They want to be able to take what you tell them 
Madden talk to them, and then then take that and then ex- go to a bar and sound like an expert. And that's what people want. And, and I think too, it, uh, you know, there's a great book. If anybody wants to read a great book over the holidays, uh, David Halberstam wrote a book about Michael Jordan. And what he did was he put Michael Jordan in the center of the circle. The Jordan rules. And all... It, it, no, it's not Jordan rules. I think it's 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 playing his game playing or for something. Keeps it's like that? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a fabulous, fabulous book. It's deserved to be reread every year. And and what he did was, and this is a little bit like Madden too. If you put Madden in the center, and then you put off all the things that he influenced, like they're showing these Miller Lite commercials. Like, how great are those Miller Lite commercials with Madden in them? How about the one? Did you see the one on Twitter with Rodney Dangerfield comes in as the pitcher? <laughs> Oh, it's priceless. It's priceless, right? It's priceless, but it's all that Red Arbach's in it, all these Billy Martins in it, all these characters. But if you put Madden in the center of all the things he was able to influence by his personality, it's just really unbelievable. And he did it in a way where he educated us. He wasn't trying to lecture us. He wasn't trying to lecture us about cover seven, about trail technique. You know, like that, those are really, and that shows you no football and that's great, but people want to understand the essence of the game. And every Siskel needs a neighbor. Every Butch Cassidy needs a Sundance. Pat Summerall, so great with Madden together because he was so understated and just a great tenor and timber in his voice. And another great clip is just, again, as broadcasters, everyone wants to know behind the scenes stuff. The fact that Summerall would always pause on the promo for Murder, She Wrote. The, the, between the murder and the she, he would pause as long as he could. I just watched a clip of Madden saying we'd had a bet how long Pat could go. So you hear the clip, he goes, murder. She wrote. And Madden goes, one time. That's so good. Madden goes, he did that. But then he also said, we have another movie coming up later tonight. Gone with the wind. And Madden mm-hmm. said he was laughing so hard he had to leave. And you can hear Summerall giggling as he's saying it. And I'm like, that's just, that kind of chemistry, man. You can't top that. It's football, but we're having a good time too. It's great. You know, it's so good. And you know, murder, there is a comma after murder. <laughs> right, right. There is a comma after murder. And, and you know, murder. She wrote, you know, and that comma really got, I mean, Pat obviously played it. You know, I think to me, it was a little bit like Simon and Garfunkel, those two. It was just magic when they got to get the harmonies between the two of them. And, you know, people forget that Pat Summerall loved Tom Brookshire, right? So Tom Brookshire was a former Eagle player. He used to read the sports here in Philadelphia. Uh, And and he and, and, and Summerall called him Brookie. And they were heavy partiers. I mean, they would go out Saturday night before the games and and hit the streets hard. And Pat, this is when Pat was drinking. And, you know, they asked Summerall after they replaced Brookie with, with Madden. They said, are, are you going to miss Brookshire on Sundays? He said, I won't miss him on Sundays, but I'll miss the hell out of him on Saturday night. <laughs> you know? And, and so, you know, it's just to me that, that, that the voices of the two people, were so comforting. In Summerall's voice, I, I, I think the greatest thing about, about when someone dies is, you know, we honor their memory, and, but we also takes us down a memory of other person too. And Summerall's memory is, is someone I miss. Every time I text Frank Caliendo, you know, and we, have a, we go back and forth on different things. And I always, at the, I always end the, the last text with, thanks, John, because that's how summer, that's how, remember, if you ever listen to him, he always says, thanks, John, you know, and he goes, because I love that. I, could, I wish I had that for like all the time. I could just play that, you know, it, it, it's classic. I, I think it's brilliant. 
I think the whole thing is, is I think Summerall was underappreciated, really, because that voice was just magic. My favorite Summerall story, and we can go on to something else, but Jim Nance often talks about the year Freddie Couples won the Masters. Uh, Pat's in the 18th Tower, and he was coming off a tough Saturday night. This is, again, after he stopped, before he stopped drinking. And when Couples made the putt, for, uh, Summerall's head was kind of like locked onto the, onto the counter. Of the, of the broadcast room, you know, looking down in case he might have to re- regurgitate a little bit here or if he had the hiccups or whatever. And when, the, and when the putt went in, you know, Pat didn't really see it and he heard the crowd and all Pat said was, there's your champion. And that's all he said. There's your champion. <laughs> but he does it in such a credible voice. It's like, there's your champion. <laughs> now, I'm never going to forget that story. There's your champion. Like, <laughs> there's your champion. So and you go back and listen to it again. It's just magical. I mean, you're talking about the, those two guys. I mean, and look, and, and, and Madden was, you know, people think he was around the Raiders quite a bit. As, as I was there 10 years, and probably maybe he was there two or three times. That's all. Wow. You know, Al and he talked on the phone quite often. Often. I don't know what his relationship. I, I, I haven't seen all of the Madden doc. Was Mark Davis in the Madden doc? I haven't seen. I haven't all seen. Of it. I DVR. I haven't seen it yet myself either. Yeah, it was on Fox so last I, week. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what his relationship is. You know how close he is with Mark. I don't think it's that close. I I do know that he wasn't happy with the current regime as it was going forward. So we'll see. And I, you mentioned Caliendo. I keep thinking of his impression of Madden. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's all I keep thinking about how good Frank is at doing it. It's like it's, it's, Madden still lives for Frank Caliendo. And he's, he's going to. He's, and so does Summerall. That's what makes it so great. Uh, once again, rest in peace to John Madden. We continue and talking about the new NFL protocols. So Carson Wentz, uh, unvaccinated and test positive. And now they've changed the protocols. Before, you'd be, I believe, for 10 days. Now it's five days. So there's a chance Carson Wentz could play on Sunday. Again, we're not doctors, Mike, but we just keep evolving. Obviously, Omicron is very contagious, but I get it from the player's perspective. Hey, I'm vaxxed, you know, and, and in Carson Wentz's case, unvaccinated, but they are changing these protocols. What do you make of the NFL just trying to adjust here on the fly? Well, I, I think they're trying to kind of comply with what the players want. Obviously, anything the NFL does, the players' union has to sign off on it. So I think that 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 obviously this is something the players agree to. It isn't just something that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of perception out there that the owners railroad stuff down players' throats. That's not true. So look, I mean, you know, I don't know if we, there are a lot of players probably that go home, they have little kids, they got a cold. Is it a cold? Is it an Omicron? I mean, they just don't know. I mean, and, it, you know, you might have the sniffles. I mean, I was around two little infant children. I got the sniffles this week. I don't think I have Omicron. But I haven't had contact with anybody in the outside world either. So, you know, you have to go get tested for, and then you get tested. What are they? What are they going to tell you to do? Like, what are you doing? Like, I have a cold. Like, I have the flu. I think that's the players are now. If it's something serious, if Carson Wentz is vaccinated and he still has symptoms, I think I, I was surprised they reduced it for unvaccinated players. That's what I was surprised of. I felt the same way. I was like, I get it. If you're like, hey, I got vaccinated, I got the booster. If I'm sick, give me a couple of days, whatever, I'll get through it. But you're right, unvaccinated, I was like, okay, they definitely changed that protocol. But clearly, guys just want to get out there and they want to try to finish the season strong. So I get it. Uh, other issue right now, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they obviously are in need of a new head coach. The Urban Meyer experiment went badly. You know, Sean Conn's the owner. He can do what he wants. And uh, clearly, he's going to try to not miss as horribly as he did on Urban Meyer. But what do you make, Mike, of the initial list of names being bandied about there for Jacksonville? You know, I I think uh, Doug Peterson notably. I was just, sorry, I should say Doug Peterson notably. One of the names being thrown out. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you know, and and, and let's start off. Turnpalky's going to stay as the general manager. 
So let's just put some things in perspective here. I mean, Shotgun's owned the team for 11 years, right? Since December 30th, 2010 till December 30th, 2021, this Jacksonville Jaguar team has played 176 games, okay? And their record in those 176 games is 46 and 130. So it's a 26% winning percentage, right? They average 18 points over that, at that time. They give up 25 points. So they're, they're, they're within a touchdown. of the, uh, that. They're not even close. It isn't like we lost a lot of close games. So for me, if I were Shotgun, this isn't, a, and I tweeted it out the other day, this isn't about hiring Dan Quinn or Doug Peterson and thinking he's got the magic wand to turn this thing around. There's something wrong institutionally within the program. When you've gone through so many people, whether it's you know Gus Bradley, Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone, you name them all, right? Who's ever he hired? Like, what makes you think you're going to get it right this time? It, to me, it's the classic problem with most sports teams. You know, they think we're just a point guard away from being a good team, or we think we're just a, a left tackle away from being a good team when they don't even understand they have no culture or no player development to do it. And to ask any of those coaches that are on that list, Kellen Moore, first head coaching job? Come on, seriously. Kellen Moore calls plays. Right, Kellen Moore's no more ready to be a head coach. Now, he maybe he can learn for it, like Zach Taylor three years later. Maybe he's learned how to become a head coach. But you're talking about taking over an historically bad franchise. We're just not talking about a fender bender who's had a bad couple of years. They don't even know the right way to do anything down there. They don't even know the right way to do anything. They need to be retaught everything from the top down. And so for me, I think if I were a, a, an aspiring young coach, if I were Kellen Moore and I, and I know I've got Dak Prescott and I know I've got all these options, I would turn it, turn it down. I know it's only one of 32. And Madden had a great quote the other day when they were talking to him about, you know, I don't want to, you know, I didn't want, I didn't really want to be in broadcasting, but you better get off it. You better take the job if you want it because they're not going to come back to you again. Well, the NFL is a little different. You know, there's cycles in the NFL. But to me, I, I think until Jacksonville understands what their root problem is, all these coaches will come in with a 100-day plan moving forward. And most young coaches, most guys that take over programs, they all have this, I'm going to do this for the next 100 days, right? In reality, AD, you should take 100 days and look backwards because you got to figure out why am I here? Like, I'm not that great of a coach to, to, if I don't understand the problem. And Jacksonville's problems are institutional. It's the same thing that's happening at the Giants. I mean, the New York football giants, they're going to fire Gettleman at the end of the year. There was a New York Post column today that they're already putting out the propaganda about what's going to happen. And they've basically written off Gettleman and he's gone. And they're going to hire another general manager. They say they're bringing, they say they're bringing back, they are going to bring back Judge. But they're also saying that if the new GM doesn't want Judge, that they really like this new GM, that they're going to maybe even make a change at that point. Like, so, like, to me, the Giants' problems are institutional. And when you have an institutional cultural problem, it isn't about who you hire. It's about what you need to fix. And I think that's the big issue in Jacksonville. Yeah, if you look at like a house with an analogy, right? Just because you're replacing the plaster or just adding an addition, no, you got to start with the foundation. If the foundation is rotten to its core, but that's it's broken, it's going to be tough to fix it just to these cosmetic changes. Yeah, you know, and I and I and I think and I think this, I think Coach Walsh beyond, you know, it, I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't think about Coach Walsh and some of the things he taught me in that car. And this is the perfect example. When he said to me in 1984, we're only competing against eight teams and there were 28 teams, you know, I, I, Jacksonville, they, whoever they hire, I don't care who they are. 
it, they're not going to get it fixed because they don't even understand what the problems they're trying to fix. And Bill's right. They're, only, they're never going to be one of the eight. As long as that owner doesn't admit that he has a problem, they'll never be one of the eight. It's unfortunate there for Jacksonville. That 26% winning percentage, that's about as egregious as it gets. Let's get into some games, shall we? The Chiefs and the Bengals. 11-4, and four, Kansas City resurgent now, aren't they? And the Bengals are 9-6. and six. Two teams right now who are rolling, Mahomes and Burrow. Listen, Mahomes has obviously played much better. Burrow's coming off that 525-yard game. In some ways, Mike, this could be an AFC Championship playoff preview. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. But what do you expect? KC, Cincy, should be fun. Well, I think it's going to be a great game. And I think that the, the concern I have here is we're going to find out if Cincy's offensive line can hold up because they're going against the best defensive front that they've gone against in a while. Baltimore didn't have anybody in their defensive front. They lost to the Chargers. What, the, one of the things about the Chargers I think that's really missing in this season, and, and I know we're talking about KC, and, and I know we're talking about KC and uh, uh, Cincinnati, but, but we have to take a little step back and talk about the Chargers a little bit here. I mean, they lost to the Chargers. And let's put things in perspective on the Chargers, right? The Chargers, when they hired Brendan Staley, and this is—I'm not anti-Brendan Staley at all. I think he's a good—I think he's a good young coach. I disagree with some of his decisions on fourth down, but I think these are the facts that you have to understand. The Chargers in 1920, 2020 with Gus Bradley, they finished 23rd in points allowed. This year, the Chargers are 31st in points allowed. In yards, they were 10th under Gus Bradley. This year, they're 22nd. In first downs allowed, in 20, they were 7th. This year, they're 30th. In, in yards per rush, last year, they were 16th. This year, they're 29th. In yards per pass, last year, they were 15th. This year, they're 28th. Third down conversions, they were 22nd last year. They're 32nd. Red zone, off, red zone defense, they were 10th last year. They're 26th. This is historically a bad defense, coached by a guy who was coming in to solve the defensive issues. And Cincinnati lost to them. And they turned the ball over because Cincinnati had a hard time blocking their front. This, to me, is the, this is the essence of the game. I think come playoff time, if you can't protect Joe Burrow, it's not going to be as easy as it was against Baltimore. Denver, it was a hard game for Denver. Denver just had no offense. I mean, they beat Denver 15 to 10. Denver made, since he made one play in the game, really, to win the game. But if Denver would have had any offense at all, they would have been. I, I think this is going to be a really hard game for the Bengals. I really do. Because when they play against a good front with Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Jarrett Reed inside, I think it's going to be a real challenge. Definitely going to be fun, though. If you're a fan of offensive football, it could be lots of fireworks with quarterbacks like Mahomes and Burrow going toe-to-toe. Next game up, the Eagles and Washington. The Eagles are favored minus three and a half, even though they're on the road. Now, the last time they played Washington, they should have had a beatdown against them because of a couple of turnovers early. Washington hung in the game, and then later on, Philadelphia was able to win by 10. But Washington's coming off an embarrassing loss against the Cowboys. I mean, they lost, they gave up 56 points. The Eagles should win this game, Mike. There's no doubt about it. But how concerned are you, A, for Philly, they're on the road, and B, the last time they faced Washington, the score was closer than you might have thought? It was Garrett Gilbert, a quarterback. And, and you know, I mean, look, I, at some point, Washington's going to get some of their players back, obviously. But, but this is an interesting game because this line opened up this is one of the lines of the week that that seemed really strange. It opened up where where Philly was favored by four, and it got bet down to three. Now, to me, I, I don't see it. You know, I think Philly's playing. Philly's a better team. Yada yada yada. You know, Washington looked like crap. You know, all the things. But Washington playing home. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I think Philly should go in there and dominate. I mean, people here in Philly, just so you know, we're getting the parade ready. I mean, they're they're going all the way. 
I mean, they're going all the way. The line's moving down, and yet no one's betting on Philly. No one's betting on Washington. It's only 22% of the cash is in on Washington. So it's kind of a strange play. I don't know why it's that way. Uh, unless Philly turns the ball over, I don't see them losing this game by less than seven points. I win in this game by, I think they'll win by seven or more unless they turn it over. Yeah, I was going to say, I would have thought the line was the Eagles minus seven, considering how good their running game has been. Yeah. Obviously, defense has improved, and Washington just looks so so shaky right now. Raiders and the Colts, huge game for both of these teams. The Colts at minus six and a half. The Raiders, they need to slow down Jonathan Taylor and Carson Wentz. Again, if he's unable to play, that changes the complexion of this game really immeasurably. The Raiders are a team, Mike, as you and I have discussed, are very inconsistent. But if they beat Indianapolis, I mean, this would be a huge win for Derek Carr and company. I mean, this is the season, right? They got to go all in. They got they can't check the bags at the curb. They got to go all the way in on this one. I mean, this is, this is going to be their year. And they're catching a... I mean, Indy's getting guys back off of COVID. I don't know when... They won't know till when until Sunday morning if he's asymptomatic. If he's not asymptomatic, if he's, if he's got any kind of symptoms, he's not going to be even... You know, so... Uh, that'll be interesting to see. The Raiders did an incredible job last week on Denver's run game. They stoned Denver's run game and, and held them to under three yards of carry. They were tremendous in that area. And so th- this will be a hard game for, uh, I think the, the concern I have with Indy in this game isn't Wentz. It's really Eric Fisher, the left tackle. They lose him in the game last week and they had to put Julian Davenport in. And that's not going to work. I mean, earlier in the season, Davenport had to play left tackle and that's how they struggled a little bit. The quarterback got hit too much. To me, this is the problem you have with the Colts is if Fisher can't go, now they says he's day-to-day, he may be able to go with the Raiders and Dockway coming off the edge and Crosby. They can create some problems for Wentz and he can make some mistakes. I think that line's a little too high. I thought it would come back down. It stayed, it opened at seven and it's been at six and a half most of the week. We'll see what happens. Coming up next from the GM Shuffle, how effective will Lamar Jackson be if he actually plays on Sunday? Can the Cardinals save their season when they head to Big D to face the Cowboys? And will Rodgers and Cousins deliver another shootout in prime time? More previews next on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Rams and Ravens. Man, Baltimore. Talk about Baltimore needing a win right now. 
at eight and seven. Lamar's going to have to play for this team to try to win. If they don't win, just imagine how hard it's going to be against Errol Donald and that defensive front and a banged up Ravens secondary handling Cooper Cup and OBJ for four quarters. The line right now, minus three and a half, Mike, but I can't see the Rams losing this game. Well, I can't either. And, you know, but Baltimore's somewhat resilient. But look, they had a clip online yesterday of, of and maybe Lamar was acting. I don't know. But just watching him move in the game, it was bad. There's no way he could play in a game because Lamar, to me, if he's not 100%, he loses that effectiveness. You know, he loses that ability. And so I can't see it. You know, now they'll end up getting, they'll get, uh, They'll get Huntley back, and so that'll help them. And they got to be able to run the football. But I mean, look, their their secondary's beat up. They've got guys that probably would never play in the USFL <laughs> that are playing in their secondary. So it's going to be a really hard game. And and last week the Rams were fortunate enough to win the game with Stafford turned the ball over three times. But they should be able to throw the football effectively against the beat up Ravens team. And but I will say this. The Ravens move the ball with Huntley in there. I don't think it'll, they'll, they'll, they're not a team that's just going to throw up and die. And, you know, they've got to win this one. This is a must win for the Ravens. And, the, and they got Pittsburgh next week at home. They got two home games. So we shall see. On paper, it looks like it. Rams should win, but we all know what paper looks like. And Ravens are at home, so that may help them a little bit as well. Another big game in the NFC, the Cardinals and the Cowboys. What the hell has happened to Arizona? They thought at one point they were the best team in the NFC. Now they're 10-5. and five. They're behind the Cowboys at 11-4. and four. Dallas shows off their offensive side of the ball as they just embarrassed uh, Washington. And now against an aggressive Arizona defense, we'll see if that offense can continue. Dallas is actually only a game out of the number one seed, Mike. So I, I, I'm kind of surprised. I thought that... Dallas is definitely going to be a playoff team. They're going to win the division. They're not getting the one seed. They're still making a push right now, and Arizona's clearly got something to prove. Yeah, I mean, and I think it starts with Murray. I mean, Murray hadn't played well. I mean, let's just be real honest here. He hasn't played anywhere near where he needs to play. And when you break him down since the injury, I mean, he hasn't been the same player. He, he really hasn't. I mean, when you go back and look at him and through the year, you know, he was he was averaging about, you know, over almost eight, seven yards. Now he's down to 8.1. He's not running the ball nearly as effectively as he did when he was. When he was, he's getting sacked more. I, I think his inability to get out of pressure, and when you make him play in the pocket, like once again, these little quarterbacks they struggle to stay in the pocket. I, I've been, you know, everybody talking about. Well, he's having a better year than Lamar Jackson. He's having, you know, all that crap. When you look at numbers, I mean, his QBR rating is the lowest it's been in his career right now, and 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 you see it on the tape. It transfers to the tape, so. To me, unless Murray comes out and plays like he did earlier in the year, you know, I think it's going to be hard. They can't stop the run in Arizona. They can't stop the run. Now, Trevin Smith, if he plays, that'll help against Chandler Jones. They're going to need that. But, you know, they're going to need to create some turnovers. They're going to need to create some turnovers, Arizona. They're not going to be able to win this game unless they do that. And then the last three weeks, really in the last three weeks, well, since they came off the bye, they, they created four turnovers against the Bears, and they've only created one since. The Lions ran for 126 on them. So did the Saints. So did the, Col- the Colts. I mean, they haven't really been able to get control of the game regardless. And it starts really with the fact that their offense hasn't been as good. Clearly missing DeAndre Hopkins. He's been out. Three-game losing streak. We'll see if Murray can overcome that adversity. One more game to get to, and then we'll get to the mailbag. The Vikings and the Packers. 
Appears to be a mismatch on Sunday night. Packers are minus six and a half. Aaron Rodgers still not at 100%, but you wouldn't know it from the way he's playing. Their offense has been on point. The question now is their defense, how they're going to handle Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, because those guys have proven, Mike, they can't exploit that Packers defense. Yeah, and look, the Packers defense is vulnerable. We know this, right? We know they've been vulnerable. And the Packers offensive line has struggled at times. And look, in the last fourth quarters of these games, they haven't been very good. And they let these teams get back in. I mean, I, I mean, Cleveland had a chance to win that game last week. Baltimore had a chance to, on the two-point play to win it. You know, I mean, this is Minnesota season. I mean, this is really, if, 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 if Mike Zimmer doesn't win this game, then you then I think there'll there'll be changes in Minnesota. There'll be a lot of changes in Minnesota. I think they're going to rearrange the the whole organization. So this is do or die. This is a custard last stand game, and it's a hard game to play. I mean, look, we talk about Lafleur for coach of the year. I mean, it's remarkable that you know his defense is 29th on third down, 31st in the red zone. He's got the worst special teams. If you want to be a head coach, right? You got to be good, and you want to be the coach of the year. You should be good on. That's why Frank Wright should be the coach of the year because he's improved his team during the year. He's taken away his weaknesses and made him made him less weak, if that's the right term. And his team has gotten better. Whereas this team, the the Packers, yes, they keep winning. They have the greatest player in the league. They have the MVP. He will win the MVP again this year. And they have to, he's got to overcome kicking game and their inability to stop anybody on defense. I mean, look, Minnesota will move the ball. They just got to be able to make plays in the fourth quarter. And I wonder how Mike Zimmer will try to combat Rodgers and Devontae Adams, who have obviously been sensational so far this season. Packers still clinging to that number one seed. A win on Sunday night would help them if they are 12-3. and three. As always, send us your mailbag questions at gmshuffle at gmail.com. Feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is from Adam. On Tuesday, it was reported the Jaguars had requested to interview several coaches around the league. At the time of this email, names being reported, Kellen Moore, Dan Quinn, Doug Peterson, etc. A lot of big names. Question is, if Jacksonville does not refine their search, are they destined to make the wrong decision yet again. You spoke about this earlier, Mike, but just to retouch that point, these names so far, how about this? Let me let me spin it this way. What's a name you would like to see then that you think could try to overcome the systematic institutional problems there in Jacksonville? Well, I think they got to find somebody with experience, right? I think the worst thing they can do is, is hire a first-time head coach because who's helping them? Who's helping them? Like you hire a first-time head coach, you, you, you get an organization that has a 26% winning percentage. Who's helping them in the building? You know, and and are they going to? And now that Balky's in charge, this guy. Now you're going to hire somebody who Balky's going to run the personnel. And are you going to let this change? I mean, what are you going to do? You know, it's like it's it's not all tied together. You know, I I think to me that that's the biggest issue. I would hire somebody who has some experience, who's an older coach. You know, who can bring some stability into the organization. You know, maybe it's Jim Caldwell, but you're going to have to give some help to somebody. You're going to have to give some help because it's just not going to be, it, this is going to be a hard, hard job. The person who takes this job has got to have a lot of energy and he's got to have the ability to really motivate and change a lot of things through his persistence. But, you know, you hire Kellen Moore and then now all of a sudden you're in that subcontractor mode. I think it's going to be really dangerous. I, I, I think to me, they don't even know what their problems is. So how can they solve it? Urban Meyer, though, unmitigated disaster. They know that as they try to remove the stench of that experiment there in Jacksonville. Pop Culture Minute. I'm still here in Toronto on holidays with my family, so I took my kids to go see Sing 2. I can tell you the highlight was the gorilla, who was fantastic, singing like Elton John. But here's the big issue, Mike. Imagine you go to the movies. I know you and Millie haven't gone in a while. But here in Toronto, there's no concessions. 
The look on my kid's face, I'm like, hang on a second. So the movies are open, mask up, but no popcorn, no slushy. I mean, that wow, impacts why? the- Why? Well, that impacts, I couldn't believe it. I said, because the COVID restrictions, I go, hang on a second. I'm sitting six feet apart. I'm fully vaccinated. By the way, all my kids are vaccinated with the exception of my three-year-old who was not with us. We're all vaccinated. I have proof of vaccination. They go, no problem, mask up, but no snacks. And I'm like, I'll pay $75 right now for a bag of popcorn. Like, if we don't have popcorn and a Can you bring it in? <laughs> Can you bring it in? My brother said to me afterwards, we should just smuggle it in because I realized after I'm going to have contraband popcorn. Think about how much, if you're taking Dominic and Michael to see a kids, we sing too, and they go, hey, Grandpa, can we get some popcorn? I'm like, oh, sorry, buddy, there's no popcorn a lot. That kills the movie-going experience. They're there for the snacks. Yeah, I stream it at home. I mean, my Lord. How, is Sing good? Was it good? What would you give it on a scale? Uh, I'd give it uh, three Maple Leafs and a four Maple Leafs. I enjoyed it, you know, seven out of 10. It's definitely, listen, the smart thing about this is they just put wall-to-wall music. There's like 90 songs in this movie. So if every 10 seconds you're hearing a popular song, you kind of get the song in your head, you're in a good mood. I'm like, okay, kids enjoy it. There's lots of frantic action, lots of different animals singing. And obviously guys like you and me would appreciate it for all the music. So I enjoyed it. Good one there for the kids. And what will you do New Year's Eve up there? So New Year's Eve, it's curious because I'm like, I, my wife would like to get out. But again, with these restrictions, I'm not sure exactly what we can do. So my mom has been very generous. Oh, no, you go have a date night. You and you and uh, your wife, my wife, Amy, go out. But I'm like, I, I don't really know. So who knows? Could be with the kids watching the ball go down or we might actually go out for dinner and try to do something nice. How about you and Millie? You guys going to do anything? I, I think we're going to go out to dinner with Bill and Anissa. The, you know, just go down to this restaurant down in uh, a little town called Stone Harbor. And they have like an event going on and, you know, through the night. So it's one-stop shopping and we get an Uber. So that's all good. So, you know, none of that, then and that, then and that, you know, <laughs> please, please, if you go out, get an Uber, don't drive, stay safe, you know, take care of yourself. Cause you know, we all know what New Year's Eve is. There's a lot of loonies out there on New Year's Eve. No question. It gets a little bit, a little bit bananas out there. Thanks so much for supporting the GM Shuffle. We will talk to you in the new year. Once again, we've done over 200 episodes together. The GM Shuffle will continue. Uh, have a great 2021 as you ring it down into a great 2022. And as we close, let's remember Pat Summerall. There's your champion. <laughs>